Mountain Pass, a podcast about lifelong learning, curiosity, and our wonderful brain. Topics we love at Alp Audio. But this isn't a podcast about Alp the product. Rather, it's conversations driven by our curiosity. Today's episode is a little different. It's not an interview between me and someone else. This is actually the first in a series that we're going to be called Builders, and it's where we're going to be sharing our journey here at Alp with you. And this one is actually inspired by the interview I did with Ali about how you get your first 1,000 users. And we actually recently put out a course called the Entrepreneur's Growth Playbook. And one of the lessons there is a case study about how we at Alp reached 10,000 users. And so that's what I wanted to share with you today. Enjoy. Welcome back to Lesson 7 of the Entrepreneur's Growth Playbook. This lesson will be a bit different. I want to share a live case study with you of how we reached 10,000 users here at Alp by putting this playbook that we've been learning into action. Humans learn so well from stories, not just facts and frameworks. So here's our story. It's far from perfect, but it's what worked for us. You'll be able to see what worked and what didn't and apply those lessons to whatever you're working on. Let's dive in. Context is everything. And here's some about out so that you can best judge what here is relevant for you. For young professionals who need to learn and master new topics, but have a busy lifestyle, Alp is an audio education platform, think Coursera meets podcasts, that enables you to master topics from A to Z in the time you have, which is when you're on the go, commuting, running errands, or out for a job. Our goal post-launch wasn't in fact to grow our top line of users. It was to iterate on our product to reach high retention metrics for our users. Finding a benchmark for those metrics for a company at this stage was very hard. What's good retention? What's bad? If a user finished an entire course but then churned, is that good because they enjoyed our content or is that bad because they left the platform? Not many operators or investors have been at this stage, and so we couldn't find a lot of information out there. We had to settle for what made sense and what our own data and user interviews was telling us about how to measure a successful user and their willingness to pay. For us, these were the metrics that we aimed for. 1. At least 30% 90-day retention. 2. Weekly active users logging in twice a week. And 3 weekly active users learning for around 50 minutes each week. This was a challenge. We were bootstrapping, didn't have much content or development resources, and user expectations are higher than ever. We're also competing with podcasts, which besides being great and having an almost infinite amount of content are free. So tough. In order to iterate and improve on our attention metrics, we needed a steady drip of users each and every week so that we could test features, hear feedback, and improve our offering. For this, we needed to acquire those users. In short, we needed to grow. 
This was our reason to grow and what our goal was all about. It wasn't about a big bump of users, rather it was about steadily growing our weekly installs, which would drip down the funnel into our core learners. A much harder goal. It's much easier to spend $500 on a one-time promotion or giveaway to acquire traffic. It's harder to build a customer acquisition mechanism that works steadily and compounds over time. But it's really what we needed to improve Alp. I'll break down our user journey into two buckets. The first bucket is going from zero to a thousand users. The second bucket is from 1000 to 10,000 users. I chose this breakdown because a thousand users is where our strategy changed, roughly speaking. For you, that could be 400, 20, or 1200 users. It's just a ballpark. Going from zero to one or zero to 1000. Between user number one and user number 1000, we had several stages. The first stage was a private beta, the MVP, which was basically 50 users, just seeing that our product works and getting the rawest feedback possible. Then stage two was a public beta, which was 50 to 400 users. And that was all about iterating to improve our value proposition. The third stage, three, was about product launch, going from 400 to 1,000 users. And here it was all about setting the foundations for growth. Step one, getting to 400 users. Getting to 400 users was straightforward. Between a team of two co-founders and three interns, finding 400 acquaintances whom we thought were good testers was a function of spending hours on WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger. The main hurdle to get over for us was the shyness of reaching out to people that we hadn't been in touch with for a while and asking them to download and check out our app. Honestly, don't worry about it. Most people were happy to help, or at least said they were happy to. Out of 200, 300 messages that I sent personally, I don't think I got even a single hard rejection. Sure, there were people for whom Alp wasn't a good fit, and so they didn't download it, but everyone was supportive, and they didn't take offense from a please download my app message. When you do this, it's important to set aside time for it. Don't do it on the go. You're about to start conversations with 100 people you actually know and care about, so make sure to give them the time and attention they might want back from you. These are also people you will need to follow up with for feedback in a week or two. Of all the cohorts of users you'll onboard, this one is the one that provides the most feedback because they're your direct contacts and are only a WhatsApp conversation away. So spend the time and effort to do it. Now, we didn't onboard all of these users at once, rather we spread them out over four weeks. We wanted to be able to iterate and measure improvements, so we had to manually drip this user growth in. One aspect of this that I did not expect at all was the emotional challenge and difficulty of showing the app that I had been working on so hard, which was barely working, to essentially everyone in my life, friends, family, and business contacts. All of a sudden, the app, Alp, was my representative, my emissary to the world. When it was full of bugs, I was full of bugs. And it was full of bugs. Horribly basic and embarrassing bugs. Login issues, playback issues, everything. While all the feedback I received was well-intentioned, it's still tiring to receive constructive criticism for an entire day, two days, two weeks. This was emotionally draining. Every time I got a, hey, the login doesn't work screenshot, I cringed. I actually covered this feeling more in depth in a Medium post that I wrote called Failing Fast Hurts. But prepare yourself emotionally for this and for 
putting yourself out there to the people you care about. Two other strategies that worked to get us to 400 first users was one was a student focus group. We reached out to several professors or innovation courses to pitch ALP. And while not everyone was interested, most were, and some were happy to assign ALP as a research project for their students. This gave us immediate cohort of engaged beta users. Two to three groups like this equals 60 to 70 users. While these weren't organic users per se, they provided valuable information and feedback and were close enough to our actual target demographic. The second strategy was interviews. Throughout the summer, we onboarded three interns and one full-time employee. We interviewed around 75 candidates, and yes, we expected all of them to download ALP pre-interview and give us feedback during their interview on ALP. Again, these weren't exactly organic users, but it was very valuable feedback on the flow, on courses, on their expectations, and these were our cohort demographic. So think about what communities could be relevant to you. Who can you reach out to? Who can you tap into? That's step one. Step two is going from 400 to 1,000 users. Remember all those things we've been talking about for the past few lessons? All the foundations for social media for your web presence that we've been talking about? Well, we at Alp only started laying them out here at this stage, and I wish I'd started sooner, and I'd wish I'd dedicated more time to them, because we only started putting this into play after we'd reached this stage, going from 400 to 1,000 users. And going from 400 to 1,000 users is where things start going beyond your personal circles. You're no longer inviting friends and acquaintances with white glove treatment. Rather, you're discovering the channels to lean into to start growing. This was where we tested different growth channels to see what would work for us. The first step was to do all the groundwork you've been learning about. Social media. We set up accounts, found the relevant platforms, and started engaging with users. Mailing lists. We found relevant mailing lists for customer cohorts to use in direct mailing campaigns and lookalike audiences on Facebook. And engagement boosts. I had a group of Ringer friends who committed to engaging with each other's posts. And we keep this group small to maintain a high quality of engagement on those posts that we post. Those were the foundations that we put into place at this stage. The next step was choosing the right marketing distribution channels. Now it was time to start using the bullseye framework you learned about last lesson. And here's the list we built and tested. App Store Advertising, which was iOS and Android. Google AdWords. Paid social media, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram. Organic social media posts. Reddit and Quora. Audio advertising, podcasts and Spotify. Sponsoring newsletters, direct mailing lists, direct physical mail, community partnerships, community outreach, being hosted on podcasts and newsletters, aka earned PR, and blogs, our own blogs which we were writing. Each of these has advantages and disadvantages. Some were more scalable, some are cheaper, some require more upfront cost in terms of time or effort, or have bad tracking. When thinking about the different possibilities, we were cognizant to keep our goal in mind, hit 10% weekly growth for several months at least for a very low budget of $75 to $100 each week choosing the initial marketing channels. The learning cycle. We started trialing two to three different channels every two weeks. We studied the channels in advance so that a test could run for a whole two weeks before deciding whether to dump or keep on trialing. Our process looked like this. We'd start trials in the platform we knew best and performed the most of our research on. Then we'd dive deeply into the next two or four channels and decide which to trial and how. 
we'd test each channel for two weeks, analyze the data and decide whether to cut or tweak, and then we would keep on trialing. After two more weeks, we analyzed the cohort retention to see if the users brought in were high quality or not. It took us six to eight weeks to trial most of our distribution channels. Some platforms were longer to trial. Facebook and Google, for example, newsletters and podcasts, and community partnerships. All of these require time to either build a relationship or launch the, the sponsorship in a newsletter and a podcast, or a lot of tweaking to the Google and Facebook algorithm. So what worked? Here's a breakdown of each. App Store Advertising. This worked very well in both iOS and Google Play. If you're looking for Apple users, the iOS store is a good place to start. Prices were relatively low and efficacy was higher than social media, but based on the dollar amounts, we were limited per user. So we were capped with the amount of users Apple could bring us each day. It pays to be a monopoly and own the entire value chain. In the iOS store, you have two options for advertising, basic and advanced. In the basic, you decide what is the max payout per install. The negative is that for a low budget, this drives a really small amount of installs. And those users might be users who searched for your app and installed it, which is great how ad networks can take credit for that. The plus side is that you only pay for users who actually install the app. In the advanced mode, you pay per click, not per install. So you can bid differently per search query and also let the App Store automatically find keywords that fit for you. This is much more controlled and we found it to be more successful once we played with keywords. The automatic keyword finding brought some keywords which were completely irrelevant, which we believe could be the case for the basic advertising option. Another reason to go for the more controlled advanced option. When it comes to keywords, App Store advertising success was helped by optimizing our own ASO and running multiple tests of differently worded copy and keywords. ASO is App Store search optimization. In Google, we had a more general success, which can also be related to different user behaviors in the App Store. In Google Play Store, users tend much more to install the apps that they see while browsing the Play Store, where in the Apple Store, users tend to search for a specific app and install it. Next up is Google. If your users are on Android, Google is the best platform for advertising that we found by a big margin. The global reach and targeting enabled a much lower cost per user without giving up on high intent users that much. Because of this, one option for low budget early stage startups like us is advertising in low demand countries, where traditionally users can't pay but still have either native English speakers or Google can help find the right target audience. This provided a much cheaper CAC or customer acquisition cost. On the other hand, it's probably a different target audience than most apps are looking for, especially if you're a paid or premium app. So keep that in mind. For example, Pakistan and India are top countries with native English speakers that fit our target demographic cohort. It took us a few weeks of tweaking before Google could reliably give us a decent amount of volume that was also relatively high quality, but the signs were there from the first week. In initial testing, Google discovered 500 or 800 installs on a weekly basis from all over the world. While we could see very quickly that most of these users weren't relevant, it was something to work with and improve. Paid Facebook. Facebook turned out to be a big disappointment, although honestly, we shouldn't have been so surprised. 
In every conversation we had with advertisers who had used it for app installs or selling digital products, Facebook had only begun to work well and pay off after a whopping $25,000 investment of A-B tests. Apparently, the algorithm takes a while to warm up to you. We had heard good things from smaller D2C brands and mom and pop shops, so we gave it a try, but we ran into two large problems. No app installs despite many views on our ads, and there was no way to corroborate the amounts of views and ad spend that Facebook was claiming. While this was true for many of the paid advertising channels we trialed, with Facebook it stood out the most. Paid Twitter was next. Twitter was better than Facebook, but still not good, which was a shame since many of our users are on Twitter. I follow them. Twitter's ad platform is much less user-friendly and the ad targeting and efficacy didn't prove worthwhile. So it proved hard to use and hard to iterate. On the organic side of social media, our users hang out mainly on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. While we were active from day one on social media and kept a decent cadence of posts, social media is not our strong suit as a team. So we did manage to generate hundreds to thousands of impressions on a monthly basis. It didn't play a meaningful role in achieving our growth metrics. One caveat and a lesson learned is that when GPT-3 launched, which was a natural language processing, it was a big hoo-ha in the tech world, we were one of the startups granted beta access, which we used to build a pretty cool AI-based teacher assistant. We hopped on the GPT-3 hype train and shared our success on Twitter, which worked. We got good engagement, views, and downloads. In retrospect, we should have put money and promoted that tweet. If you have an organic post that's seeing success, double down and promote it. This is where I learned that lesson the most. Next up is Reddit or Quora. We spent time on both of those platforms because in theory and in practice, I found all kinds of relevant forums and questions and topics that were related to educational podcasts, but ran into a few difficulties. Again, I wish I'd known this in advance. It took me months to get my user profile approved on Reddit and my responses not automatically tagged as a bot. Still don't know why that happened. It was very hard to increase my karma rating. So we gave up on Reddit, honestly, sooner than I would have liked based on the relevant forums. Also, the discussions that we found on our topics while relevant on a thematic basis weren't alive on a daily basis. Eventually, by the way, I managed to get through the karma rating and the blocks with one post about how we played Dungeons and Dragons at the office remotely, and that was by far my most successful Reddit post ever. Next up was podcasts and Spotify. You know, seeing Alp Audio, its audio, and its education, this would seem a natural fit. But podcasting and advertising is problematic for early stage startups. There's no ad network, so it's not easy to promote. It's not easy to find shows that have a budget and an audience that fits what we had. And the time delay between finding them and speaking to them and getting a deal done and the show going out was too long to help us live up to our goals. Spotify is building a programmatic ad network for audio, but it hadn't launched yet in the geographies that we were aiming for. So no success there. We dropped it. Newsletters. Every industry has newsletters, and in the podcasts and audio education and lifelong learning world, that's very true. We tried, we sponsored a few newsletters, but unfortunately, even though the click-through rate for some was higher than others, the conversion to mobile downloads just wasn't good enough. 
We assumed this was because of the nature of our product. We wanted mobile downloads, but most people read newsletters on their PC as part of their workday, or as weekend reading, neither of which contributes to a mobile download. Community outreach. Engaging in forums that were relevant to Alps courses proved highly effective. While this required more upfront effort and wasn't as scalable, the users that came from this organic guerrilla marketing were much higher quality. For example, Facebook's groups uh, or Slack channels around product management proved great places to show the value of our product management course. And it's important to note again that this isn't about spamming users in those communities or being blatantly self-promotional. It's about adding value with high quality content. For example, we shared product management templates directly from the course to those Facebook groups, and that was a huge hit. Slack channels are also great places to interact with people personally or in channels and discuss topics that you've learned. And so that was great organically to generate discussion around topics that we had just covered in different courses as well. Earned PR, or leveraging existing community distribution. You know, while probably the least scalable of all the channels because it's highly dependent on other people, being able to hop on board existing communities distribution channels is very powerful. And this includes being hosted on podcasts, newsletters, or invited to panels. It's not very scalable because you need to reach out to these community hosts and managers, but if you manage to find the right ones, it can be very, very powerful. I had been following and engaging with communities related to Alp Audio for several months, and so when the time was right, I felt comfortable reaching out to community leaders, and we formed some collaborations that were very meaningful for us. So to bring this all together, and this is how we reached our first 10,000 users really with this playbook and trying out all of those different traction channels and adding up the little pieces of the puzzles to make it come together. Here are some final thoughts. I wish I'd started sooner on all of our traction channels. That's the thing that was under my control that I needed to implement. Specifically, a content calendar for social media could have helped a lot. Community matters a lot. It takes a village to launch a product or a business. The early support from friends and family and coworkers was incredibly, incredibly helpful and valuable. I'm fortunate to have people who care and are able to and willing to help. That's not always the case, and I'm so grateful for that. This framework that we've been talking about works, but it's hard, and it really requires the five keys that I've been talking about. Compounding, discipline, ROI, iterating quickly, and knowing strengths and weaknesses. So that's our case study here at Alp. It's not perfect, but it's not too bad. It's just another entrepreneurial journey. Share your journey with us. Tweet them at me, at YehoshZL on Twitter. I love hearing all of these journeys. And I'll see you next lesson for our last, but not least lesson. Hacks and tricks I only learned after this case study that, wow, I wish I'd known before.